0: Folks, welcome inside the Parisi Palace, high above 3773 East Broadway. This is the Jake Feinberg Show. Comedy on Power Talk, thank you so much for making us part of your day today. And a couple months ago, I wound up getting a gig with the Friends of the Library in Pima County in Tucson. It's been such a blessing to become part of this family. And uh, one of the cats who works there, I've connected with immediately uh, sort of a a brethren uh, somebody who cares about art street art and photography in particular but he's also spent a lot of time in print journalism and has many stories to tell david del grande welcome to the jake feinberg show
1: thanks so much for having me bro Uh, It's definitely an honor
0: it is an honor you know can you talk about a time in your life um, it could be any time when you really were facing adversity How you overcame it and how it made you a stronger person.
1: Well, I mean, there's a bunch of episodes in that particular, you know, I don't know, era of life when it comes to, hey, you know, this is where I'm at in life. I have diversity I have to overcome. And, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of if you fall 10 times, you got to get up 11. I think one of the things that carried over the most for me was being a skateboarder in the 90s so like mid 90s i got heavily into skateboarding it wasn't the cool thing and i don't know it it taught me a sense of of humility and a sense of perspective when it came to just life and adversity and I mean, if you've ever spent any time on a skateboard, no, you're, no, no, okay, yeah, but when you do, tumbling, you, tumbling. you you fall all the time. Like, like, if you're not falling, you're not skating. Like, that's what skateboarders say. And, yeah, I mean, that just put, a, you know, a chip on my shoulder and some real determination to, you know, if I'm going to get the trick or if I'm going to get the byline or if I'm going to get the photo, I'm going to get it, come hell or high water, and, you know, that... That education on the streets in New York City and, and New Jersey and, and the East Coast in general just gave me a little bit of hospa that, that got me through a tremendous amount of adversity throughout my life. I mean, being a journalist alone, yeah, you got adversity.
0: <laughs> Did you wind up, uh, like, becoming a competent skateboarder?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we had a small crew of people. Um, actually, a friend of mine in Jersey still has a skate company out there. And, you know, there was some, you know, we definitely had some heavy hitters. And, you know, I was definitely, you know, top tier. I, I could hold my own at that time.
0: You know, I wanted to ask you about, like, when you recognized or, I, you know, for me, um, my definition of success has nothing to do with, you know, anything – related to commodities or monetization especially as it relates to my craft or my skills or you know I consider like I think I maybe even told you this before but it you know as a journalist how can I be singular how can I be unique how can I do something that's going to cut above the morass of what everybody else is doing that that's broad in broadcasting and that's my definition of success so I mean let's taking print journalism or just in anything when did you kind of get the memo that you wanted what is your definition of success and do you believe and what is it that you're doing whether it's the photography or even going back to journalism that helped you be singular
1: well i mean you know i'm a little older now so i guess success has always kind of morphed as you know any target really morphs as you age um You know, wisdom comes with that and, you know, making mistakes and, you know, hurting yourself and hurting people around you and losing people, whether it's to death or to, you know, disagreement, you know, it it changes you and it puts, put notches on your belt. But for me, you know, at going on 43 this year, success for me is if I'm waking up in the morning and I got a smile on my face and I know that my day is filled with stuff that, you know, activities that I'm interested in doing, whether it's paying the bills or not, I mean, I won the lottery.
0: And
1: that's that's it. I mean, you know. I mean, you know. And it's you know coming from a print journalism background. It was also you know I, when I got into that industry, I was planning on going to the Middle East. I was going to, I was going to Lebanon. That's where I was headed. So I was my minor was conflict reporting in the Middle East. So I you know studied you know, terrorist, terrorist organizations and stuff like that for years and years and years at a professional coll- collegiate level before or after I was reading it for about 10 years, like studying, you know, Israel and Palestine and stuff like that. Um, so perspective is always kind of, it's played a huge role in my life, especially, you know, as I entered college as a non-traditional student. student. I mean, I graduated in 2018, so I was no spring chicken. So that perspective definitely carried over. Like, I understand what this country offers us, especially on a global scale. So, like, I get it. We have a lot of work to do as a country and as a society, you know, in the United States. But, I mean, man, you compare it to most of the stuff I was reading on a, on a professional level on a daily basis.
0: <sighs> Can you give an example?
1: Oh, I mean, uh, yeah, uh, you know, there's obviously... Uh, Wealth disparity in this country, correct? I mean, but you know, globally, if you're making, I think the latest stat that I looked at is like if you're making $38,000 a year, you're part of the global 1%. Wow, like there's, I think it's half the world's population, last I checked, lives on less than two US dollars a day. So that gives you like a little bit of perspective of where we're at. I'm not saying that like people aren't struggling and that the scales aren't tipped Point like eight, go, you, you know what i'm go. saying but like man if you're in this country and there's a few other countries like us but you know we are unique in that sense but if you're here man like you can there's so much opportunity and if you have the right mindset and you link with the right heads it's a wrap <clears throat> why,
0: why do you think that that's so hard for um uh for people in public life to be able to articulate what you just said. I think that, um, regardless of the political spectrum you're on, uh, there is so much opportunity here in this country. And yet there's a lot of, um, you know, the cost of living has gone up a lot in the last 10, you know, decade, or, you know, since the beginning of the century. Um, but I I think that, you know, not to get political, but it's like in some ways there's a lot, there's one side that wants to sort of give away a lot of stuff, you know, basically disincentivizing the mindset uh, that you just were talking about, uh, which is the opportunity to go out and and just sort of create something, uh, especially when you look at it from the rest of the world. Um, And then there's another side that might come across as even kind of callous, like, you know, just pick yourself up by your bootstraps. And these guys are in their 80s or 90s, and the life they had in the 40s and 50s has nothing, doesn't relate to anything going on today. What would you say is the mindset that people should have based on, now we're both fair-skinned people, but I mean, what is the mindset, regardless of skin color, should people have in this country about the opportunity that actually does exist in this country i mean the the friends at the library prove that to me once again for me in my own life
1: yeah i mean again like i mean i get it like you know there's definitely i can walk into a room and it's easy for me not to be prejudiced against because i'm a white dude you know like and i obviously probably come off as a hetero white dude i get it like Like, just that carte blanche, like, in a point point blank, like, there's going to be doors that are going to open for me. I understand that. I'm not ignorant to that. But, I mean, if you look at, I mean... (laughs) just compare our country opportunity-wise to to even our neighbors in the south I mean you know I I go to Mexico on a regular basis whether it's dental work or it's just doing photo exposition stuff or just going to chill because it's a beautiful country and it's a a short short ride to go down in Nogales and hang out for a little bit I mean look at the exchange rate it's just not even comparable and this is You know, this is a country that was already established when, you know, this country was being founded on the backs of, you know, tragedy and, and, and our, our bloody history, which is obviously unfortunate in a lot of, in a lot of senses. But when you compare what, what this country offers everyone to the rest of the world, it's just, it's not even on the same
0: scale. It's just not. Talking to David Del Grande here on the Jake Feinberg Show, did you actually, did you ever make it to the middle east and and um and if if you didn't um how did you deal with the fact i mean i know for myself like in sports broadcasting i i had a cup of coffee in the minor league baseball but i walked away from it and in in my early 20s because i was too insecure and it kind of left a bad taste in my mouth because i sort of didn't feel like i pushed myself your dream was to go and do some pretty daring work did you do it and if not how did you deal with the idea that 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 maybe that dream didn't come to fruition but there was something else
1: unfortunately i haven't made it out to the middle east yet
0: and you do want to go yes
1: yes that's still a passion of mine it's definitely an area of interest and it's you know obviously there's a lot of stories that come from that particular region, especially if you're thinking of Israel, Palestine, Lebanon, and that general. I mean, that's the the birthplace of most of the, you know, the, the religions that run our society as a whole. Um, and for me, it was just I didn't want to go into that situation under the auspices of an industry that I didn't agree with any longer. Um, when I got into the industry, I mean, I got in pretty quick and I was earning a living even when I was in college. Um, But yeah, as I got further along in my college career and I knew that it was time to make a decision like, okay, am I going to take the plunge and become a full-time reporter and, and deal with the liabilities of that industry? And I can get into that later. Yeah, you know, it's it's metric chasing, it's uh, it's right. clickbait kind of stuff. Explain it's metric
0: chasing to the
1: audience. okay. So metric chasing would be, um, you know, I did some reporting back east. I, I worked for a, a large newspaper in New Jersey, and you know, uh, the people that were kind of mentoring me would say like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go into this, you know, community that's largely black and brown people do a police story because that's going to get me the clicks on my story so that I can chase the story that I actually want to do, whether it's like interviewing someone like, you know, Jake Feinberg or, or or doing a story that's like a profile, you know what I mean? So it's like you get the clicks on this end because someone got shot in Newark so that you can chase, you know, the story that you actually have passion for and for me, that wasn't worth putting my life on the line and I knew that that was where the industry was headed more and more and this is you know pre-Trump administration this is pre-COVID pandemic Um, the the writing was on the wall and even in college I mean you know I experienced it so much with you know university professors giving me a really hard time by talking to conservatives or talking to law enforcement and other reporters that I were coming up with and just like wait why do you want to talk to the county sheriff I'm like because he's running things and we may not agree politically all the time but this is like one of the highest elected officials in Pima County and is running a very important department you better pay attention to this person and you know I was the person that was willing to talk to law enforcement so like I was like in this weird place of like oh like you're talking to law enforcement and stuff like that and I was just like yeah because it's not my job to tell people what to think It's my job to inform people what's actually going on, even when I didn't agree with that.
0: Like, I mean, it's so interesting you bring that up because, I I mean, I've had people think think that because those people are against or in some ways opposed to some sort of, in their minds, uh, what the paper's doing, therefore you shouldn't be talking to them. Is that what their, their philosophy is that way? Yeah, there was, I mean...
1: Yeah, there was plenty of people that I worked for and with and ran into at the university level and that were college students of, you know, my ilk or they were graduate students and there was just certain people that were off limits to talk to, even if they were the crux of an important news story that were going to affect, were going to affect, you know, a million plus people in Pima County. And it didn't make any sense to me. Like uh, the, the beauty of journalism was the invisibility for me where I didn't have to know the answers. And that's how a lot of my stories came off, where they remain gray because we don't live in a black and white society. We just absolutely don't. If you look at the majority of how your life plays out, it's not black and white, especially when you have perspective. It's like, you know, you have a life event and you pull away 10 years and you're like, that's the best thing that could have happened to me. Like, I mean, and that's the gray. That's the gray that we live in. That's the gray that our entire society operates on. So the second that someone is pushing black and white to me whether it's politics, whether it's policy whether it's music you know, like, it, it's its a political fight at that point because it's like, you're either for or you're against and that's a very dangerous place to be and it's not it's not reality
0: You know, using the line don't let the uh, uh, perfect be the enemy of the good like Even though there fundamentally is some major issues, like my brother's in print journalism as well, and I'm sure he deals with the same kind of stuff. In fact, he might be in the managerial position to say, you can't talk to this person or not. But either way, um, why would you – just because you disagree with the sort of principles, um, you still – you want to go to the Middle East on, on your terms? Is that, is that what I'm hearing? You still want to go, but, but, you, but, uh, but not necessarily for an organization that might say, well, you need to do this before you go and actually do what you really want to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think the Middle East will ever cease being a place that I'm interested in, whether it comes to photography or story writing or anything along those lines. How I'll get out there and when is, is unclear and I'm okay with that. But if I'm gonna to go to a place like that and tell these tell the stories that I want to tell, you know, it's gonna be under the auspices of you know, funded on my dime. It's gonna be my brainchild, and if it takes me my entire life to get one story off the ground, I'm okay with that because you know, this is I don't need to follow the rules in order to have a successful, happy, productive life. And and for me, yeah, just I don't want to get stuck in that place of like you know you just kind of bow down to the, the powers that be that's not going to get me where I want to go and it's not it's not part of the the history that I'd like to write I mean most of the work I do now is just kind of a love letter to society in general like I, I've kind of had a second chance as I came back to Tucson almost 10 years ago and like I'm just ecstatic to have the challenges and the pitfalls and the the real successes here so when i go to a community that's you know maybe not you know the, the front of the headlines and it's you know it's like the real estate isn't great in tucson and stuff like that like there's still beauty there there's still a community there there's real people there that are, that are a part of the fabric and and that's what's always been attractive to me so whether i'm doing that in the middle east whether i'm doing that back home and hanging out in spanish harlem or i'm doing it in south tucson you know that's that those are the stories that i think will last greater than some kind of headline grabbing award winning kind of thing i mean this is for me it's legacy
0: well it's just so funny i'm turning 44 in march and i've been on this path now this is the 11th year and i can honestly say like i mean that's exactly what my creed my you know has been which is about I just I want to put a button on the, the, the corporate journalistic side for you um, because with my show, I mean, I, I, I interviewed Ted Nugent. I, I mean, regardless of what he's caricatured as or how he really feels inside, you disagree. I mean, we I hooked him in because he recognized that I was not only going to be respectful, but that I knew my stuff and that we were going to have a ball. And by the end of an hour and 40 minutes, I couldn't hate the guy. Okay, like it was like it, forget it was it, he was talking about pushing kids up a hill who had bone cancer. Their last wish was to go hunting with him, and he's pushing them up a hill in a walker. And I'm like, I, you know, and so so the point is that I've been able. Nobody's here telling me the questions I need to ask you or the questions I'm going to ask Don McLean. I don't have anybody over me micromanaging. Was there any creative freedom? Is there any creative freedom? In the corporate journalistic world, at all. I mean, unless you're an editorial writer, and or, you know, you have. I mean, to me, I, I, that's one reason I didn't. Looking back on it now, I recognize maybe that's one reason I was ambivalent about continuing on and in in the in the corporate broadcasting world was just because my soul was going to die because I was going to lose all creative control.
1: Yeah, you know, and I I totally understand. I, I'm not a. not a black and white dude again you know there are some people that operate within that corporate setting that you know can actually chase the stories that they want to do they know how to play that game properly and and hats off to them yeah it's absolutely a game and, and and there's nothing wrong with that i mean you're gonna see games no matter where you go uh, any type of structure whether it's corporate or not there's games you have to play you know you have to grease certain wheels and if and if you're willing to do that and you're creative enough to do it and talents it i mean it's a talent it's a talent to be able to to walk that line and it's a talent that uh, you know by and large i wish i had a little bit more of but uh, you know i'm also self-aware enough where uh, you know where you stand with me i mean it's you know the, my cards card, <laughs> the cards are on the table you know so it's just you know you know what i mean so and again, you know, it's not, uh, I mean, I don't think it's worth completely dismissing the entire corporate journalism world. I mean, there's enough good information out there and there's enough good reporters out there doing good work. But if you really want to get hard-hitting stuff, you have to go to the fringes. You have to go to the the substack world of journalism, whether you're talking about Matt Taibbi or obviously Glenn Greenwald and, and that that emergence for me is really hopeful because you see journalists that are actually doing the work of hard nosed journalism and they're doing it on of their own accord. They have no one to answer to and the success that they're seeing is tremendous. So that that's really hopeful for me.
0: Uh, can you hit me and what what's going on with Taibi? I remember the last time I would see him when he was working for the Post or the Times, but what is he doing now?
1: Oh yeah, I mean, he's on a, he's on Substack now and he's doing he's great. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's he's doing tremendous work over there. Um, definitely a subscriber that, you know, came across him, you know, looking at the Twitter feed of Glenn Greenwald and then hearing a little bit more about him, listening to Joe Rogan and, and stuff like that. But, yeah, I mean, is definitely on the map and doing the good work that, that a journalist should be what doing. You, what
0: kind of work? You give an example of
1: that. Oh, goodness, what did he He just dropped something about the ridiculousness of... You know, the charade of the Democratic Party kind of kissing the ring of Dick Cheney after they had that, you know, nonsense after, you know, the January 6th anniversary, which was really despicable when you think about the impact someone like Dick Cheney had, you know, comparing it to anyone like Trump or, or anything along those lines. Not to get too far into the weeds of politics, but, you know, Taibbi is still, you know, tackling the nonsense of corporate media head on. And, and we need more people like that. And fortunately, there are platforms like Substack where people are seeing success doing it.
0: Yeah, let's just for the audience. I mean, uh, Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld lied us into the Iraq War. So, I mean, and that's still unresolved. Of course, I don't think anybody could have envisioned that Liz Cheney would be one of the only people standing up for, you know, this committee. So it's it, the world's on its head. Um, Talk about, as it relates, like, I, I try to always talk to the musicians about, uh, you know, the lineage of of their musical taste. You know, if it's if it's bluegrass, uh, go back as far as Bill Monroe. If it's R&B, if that's Domino, Ray Charles, if it's jazz, Dizzy or Bird, even farther back, rock and roll, Elvis and those cats, uh, you know, uh, Little Richard. Uh, in terms of your uh, photography style... Who would you? How how would you? T- who has influenced you that came before you? Well, the
1: funny part is that the biggest, Im- nobody, yeah. yeah. I mean, the funniest part is actually the biggest influence I had really early on, and a lot of my style I feel is borrowed from, if not has developed from, is skateboarding photography. So, so as a skateboarder, like I was. Obviously flipping through magazines. It was the '90s. It, you know, there was no Instagram or anything like that. So there was paper, and you know, and all that. It was a good era. You know, lots of posters on my walls as a kid, and like that was, you know, that was that era. And I remember, obviously, you're looking at the tricks, and you're looking at the skateboarders that you emulate and, and look up to. But at this you know, my eye was just like, how are they capturing these images? Like they're very stand out, very low angle, using wide angle lenses, and, and still to this day that's some of my favorite work that i get to do is you know when i strap on the wide angle lens i feel like i'm an atiba who is a you know a very famous uh, skateboarder photographer skateboarding photographer and yeah i mean those are the people that that just you know trained my eye and i didn't even know it it's a funny story when i first came to tucson in 97 i started college at pima in like 98 and i was taking like a basic art you know, class I was thinking about potentially major well I was majoring in fine art and specifically well just fine art in general it wasn't photography yet so I was taking a basic art 101 class and you know handing in these projects like you know charcoal sketches and all kinds of like basic ass crap and my professor comes up to me one day and she's just like david she's like have you ever thought about photography because every single piece of art that you hand in is framed like a photograph wow. and the light bulb went on it was like oh my god you
0: recognized you recognized that you were being you had been influenced that whole time by the cat who was the skateboarding photographer
1: yeah, and is just one of them. I mean, there's tons of people from the East Coast that were just, you know, Ryan G, and then people I grew up with that were taking— Yeah, it was just totally a revelation because you would see, I mean, you know, in the film days, you would watch your corners, the corners of the frame, to make sure that there's nothing distracting and that every kind of inch of that frame is used properly. I mean, that's how I was designing artwork. So when my professor told me that, she I was just like,
0: Bing! Shout out to the community college there. You know, yeah. I—it's I, so cool. Um, you know, since I met David uh, within a couple of weeks, and I'm not taking any credit for it, but he launched—you launched a podcast. Um, t- talk to people, not just about where they can find it, but ultimately, um, what you think are the antecedents and the and the, and the things that are necessary in order to. The jumping off point of, of starting a podcast as an artist, you know, because like we said, you know, you wake up in the morning and um, I was looking forward to this mm-hmm. and I love going to work, but I was looking, this is, you know, this is, this is what I'm looking forward to. And, and, and this journey that you're on the podcasting at this point, it's not necessarily something that's going to bring in a lot of money, but that's not the point.
1: So the name of the podcast is The Streets Photog Podcast and how i framed it is basically it's a behind the scenes of the stories that i get to experience while i'm out in the field shooting photographs Uh, the the easiest way to find it is spotify obviously we'll be able to link it and you know the youtube clip or this but i mean for me for me again it's legacy writing it's it's telling a little bit more than what the what the photograph can can actually communicate and as a print reporter I realized pretty early on that and most of my editors told me this that you know not to brag about it but usually my my writing skills and my photography skills were equal and that was pretty rare so you know I could I could write very well and it was recognized you know over multiple awards throughout the state and elsewhere and my photography was also very very good so so now that I can you know kind of meld that into you know my own platform and and tell those stories in the way that I want to tell them I mean it just it just made the perfect sense for me to just culminate all that and basically everything that I'm writing after I'm out in the field goes onto the podcast and people get to hear it in my voice
0: how hard is it to do something uh, I co-create all the time we're doing it right now I mean if I'm doing telephonic I'm rarely behind the mic you know I'm never waxing poetic on my own is it, has it been a challenge to um, I see a lot of people uh, I'm grateful I don't have to do this Is self-promotion You know, like, how? I know it's early on in the journey But how do you see Or how do you feel about Trying to take some of the spotlight Off of you Putting it on either Well you can riff on that How hard is it to do something When it's just you
1: I mean, it can be difficult for sure. And again, you know, the, the podcast isn't like this kind of ego stroke for me. It's <laughs> like you know, I have these amazing stories. Like everyone, sit back. You but know, it is, but, no,
0: but 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 I, you know what it is like. I, you want what you put out there to be high quality. And sometimes, if when you you could beat yourself up for saying why, it, I don't want this to be about me. That's all I'm saying. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No, and I I, I totally understand that, and respect that. And I mean, again, you know, coming from the journalism world you know where that was how i you know paid my bills for quite some time yeah i mean it's hard to be kind of in front of the camera or from that first person so i mean i would I would love you know obviously long term it would be great to be able to sit down in a studio setting and talk to some of the great photographers or people who knew those great photographers and and pick their brains like incorporating other people who are working in the field would be is obviously the goal is to expand that narrative and and see where it can go that that's one of the aspects of being part of the vancouver street photography collective that's really been awesome i met them through instagram and they've just been like a really cool cool source of of people to kind of you know play ideas off of but long term i mean i think it would be really easy for me to reach out to people on social media and be like hey you know do you have do you have A minute or two to you know rap with me about your latest project or you know I I have this podcast and I'm talking about this particular subject I think you'd be a great fit you know do you have a few minutes there's also another thing that I want to want to try out is that I'd like to try something along the photography world and do it as like the the one question podcast and basically reach out to someone who's you know doing phenomenal work in the photography or photojournalism world specifically and just ask them one question and, like, that's pretty much the podcast. And, I, you know, I could write a little bit before and after, but, you know, for people who are working in the field, especially if you're a freelancer or you're an entrepreneur in that sense, it's hard to give someone 40 minutes. But you can give them 15 or 10.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, uh, do do 15, and then you'll find some, uh, some of the best sound bites. And that, to me, like, that, especially because there isn't, there actually probably is a propensity of people that are, doing quality work but they're not really out front and so it would be cool to pull those people into the dialogue what about the idea of capturing some sort of shot that uh, photo uh, of of an action shot of where other people are involved not necessarily law enforcement but just actually connecting with those people and interviewing them uh, about the the, what you took about the, the picture itself
1: yeah, I mean, I, I, I never thought of that, but that's really a great, great yeah, way. It
0: would, be, it would be fun.
1: Yeah, I mean, it could be really awesome, and it would kind of get me back into my roots of being just, you know, kind of a you know, a gritty little, you know, street reporter kind of guy. And, I mean, again, you know, I don't mind talking to anyone of any political ilk. Uh, for me, it's it's actually refreshing because half the time when I was talking to journalists, whether it was in a college setting or a professional setting, it's like I already know what everyone's going to say before I ask. So if I'm not talking to people that think different than different than me, then I, don't, no informi- new information is filtering through. Funny story: there's there was a dude I used to work at Tower Records in Sacramento. I'm just go yeah, 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 yeah. And there was a dude that you know he worked at the books. There was three separate stores: there was a radio, record store, bookstore, and the video store. I helped run the video store, and he worked at the bookstore. You know, and I was constantly going in there picking up books. His name was David, which was funny. And we used to go out for coffee pretty much every week. And it was like, you know, a decent amount of time. We did not agree politically at all, like pretty much polar opposites, but he was really, really intelligent dude. So I we would go out to coffee every week and we would just not argue but like hey like this is what's in the news what what's your vibe on it and those conversations were probably some of the best conversations I've ever had while I spent 10 years in northern California because I would have never thought that half of what he had to bring to the table whether it came to you know political policy in the United States or you know foreign policy that's when I was you know, reading a lot about Israel and Palestine and stuff. I mean, we were polar opposites, and the stuff that he would bring to that conversation, I was just like, I would have never thought of that. So it enriched my palate, and it gave me an idea of like, okay, I don't have to be right. Like, there's always going to be a middle ground, and, you know, people have their their opinions that are based on, you know, the same set of facts, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, we can all get along in that sense, where you can, where you can look at a political issue and say, like, you know, there's, there's multiple ways to skin the cat.
0: Yeah, I think that you're, you're speaking my language because, like, I mean, um, the issue now, uh, unfortunately, is that in some ways bin Laden accomplished, if that's what he was actually trying to accomplish, is that no longer looking at each other as Americans who disagree but can get along to get along, no problem, but now it's like you're an enemy, you know, I mean, the, the other side is and, and, it, and, and it's it's so perverse and weird, but it speaks to what you're talking about is uh, people don't feel um, they feel disrespected in some ways. Uh, and I'm talking about both sides of the aisle. So they they only get into these these echo chambers or these glass houses, you know, speaking of your family. Um, I always ask this to the, to the cats a lot, I interview a lot of healers And kirtan chanters And people that maybe left organized religion Or sort of went down their own path And you know clearly I, you, know, you can tell because they've adopted Hindu names Or they are into very You know sort of non-Western Healing practices You know I always ask them I say you know your parents or your family You know Maybe they don't understand Your path But do they respect you? Do they, you know, that's the point is that being on my journey, I know that for my parents, it took a long time and it it was enraging for me because, you know, I'm interviewing Dave Brubeck and, you know, all these cats and, and again, I'm, I'm all geeked up about it. And, and they kind of wanted to, they didn't dismiss it, but they didn't get it. And then over time the work showed through and we already had very good bonds. And now there's a lot of respect So I ask you as it relates to your family Not that you're some way off the grid dude Because you're not But in so far as uh, You realize this over time When you have kids too That love is important Respect is more important And I just wonder if your family sees you Maybe they don't understand All your passions and your desires Or your even your open-mindedness To engage the people who philosophically Think differently But do they respect you?
1: I totally understand that, and it, it took a little while. I know that, you know, I was I was kind of lost in my you know twenties and early thirties and kind of, you know, that kind of stuff. That's a whole another like this gambit. Yeah, that's a whole another podcast. But you know, when I returned to Tucson with my eyes set on going to university and getting a degree in journalism, you know, it was just you know I had tried school before. My parents weren't really convinced that that was a thing that was gonna get me a result that would you know equal success and yeah or any de- or even just completion at that point they didn't really have a lot of faith and, and you know and as I you know trudged along and kind of built myself up to you know someone that was a respected reporter at least in this community you know it's it, it started coming around and it made a lot of sense to them like oh okay like we understand that his path is not the straight path but it's obviously getting him where he needs to go. And what's kind of the cool part is that I know that my parents see the happiness that's grown from me being on that path. So, you know, they respect the journey. They respect me being a little quirky and looking at the world, you know, it's like view askew, right? I mean, it's, it's a little off and, and and they respect that.
0: I mean, you're not, you're not a criminal. Uh, You're doing everything by the book. And, most importantly, as long as your parents are pretty grounded, uh, you know, they want to see their kids happy. Uh, they want to see them at peace. They, I I can already tell you, like, just being at uh, the Friends of the Library, like, I'm becoming a better person. Like, I, I, I'm finding myself, like, on the phone with customer service people and saying things that I, I can't even believe are coming out of my mouth. Like, thank you, I know you're busy. Thank you for taking the time. Like, I, I you know, to me, like, it's about evolution. You recently uh, got engaged. Um, congratulations! Um, you know, can you talk a little bit about uh, what I consider to be the tenets of a cosmic marriage? I mean, I, I was married for thirteen years, and I still love the mother of my children. I was not in love with her, and every day I'm reminded as to why we are no longer together. And it, it's a good thing. Um, but the next chapter of my uh, in my relationships, in my life, I. I'd like to find a a soulmate, and and I just, to me, I always look at it and I think to myself, boy, you know, I just would like to find somebody that is where we could be sitting in a room together, not having to say a word to each other, and just enjoying our company, sort of having the same rhythm and the same tempo, and I just wanted you to talk about um, what makes the relationship with your um, uh, soon-to-be wife uh, uh, cosmic.
1: Yes, I'm very excited about this news. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Jamie and I actually met in journalism school, and we had a you know brief dating episode when we first met, and it didn't work out. And then we went our separate paths, and we would constantly run into each other at at you know you know the journalism world is very small, so we would constantly bump elbows, and we were part of you know different organizations on campus like the. Um, society professional journalist u of a chapter blah 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 so you know we were i would constantly see you know this this woman and you know you know we were just on different paths i kind of wrote it off and and that was fine and after you know i graduated or actually we graduated at the same time she was in sierra vista at the time and i was just about to leave Green Valley and just actually getting my job at the Friends. And we fortunately got to, you know, re-link. And she was one of the people that, I remember telling a friend of mine that unfortunately we had a falling out and we don't talk any longer, but I remember just before, I don't know, a few months before Jamie and I gave it another, or an actual try, I remember telling my friend Danielle at the time like that was that was one that was one person I really feel like got away. Like there was just something about how how Jamie makes me feel about the world, and it, it does. And it's not perfect. We're not perfect people. We understand that. Fortunately, we're born in the same month, so I think we share the same neuroses. So it's easy to vibe and understand each other. That's important. <laughs> but um, but by and large, it's it's easy in the sense of it's relaxed and not that it's not exciting but it's just good it's just it's so solid and 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 that's the that's the part that's really interesting to me because we're both you know we got these big we have big visions about where we can take our creativity and where we can take our professional lives and to know that we get to start a life as we're kind of you know at step one or step two I'm just like super thrilled to see like, where are we going to be in 10 years? Because she's my best friend. And I, you know, she's the first person I want to tell everything about. And you know, when I come home and, and, and we're happy, like life is good. I mean, I think if I learned anything, being a journalist, which was, I mean, it was, there was a lot I learned, but if it was one thing, it was that home needs to be good before you can consider yourself a success whether that's financial, whether that's professional or not, because, you know, being a journalist, like, you are married to your work. And when I was doing that type of work full-time, everything was pushed to the wayside. And I lost a lot of people that were important to me because I was so hyper-focused. And that loss was a tremendous liability for me. So looking forward, when I kind of had to, like, rekindle and re- Examine what direction I was going in. It was like, yeah, home needs to be solid. And then you build off that. And the fact that I know that I go home to a partner that is completely loving, very supportive, very encouraging, and super hot, um, you know, like (laughs) my life is good. Like, uh, you know, I wake up in the morning, I I sit on my patio every morning before I head to work or I head to go you know, take my photos and I take in a deep breath and I say, thank you. And I, I, I'm not a religious person. I just send it out to the universe. And I'm like, bro, like I know what it's like to almost be homeless and, you know, be, you know, not knowing how, how you're going to be able to eat like for another few days or, you know, weeks at a time. Like, yeah, man, like knowing that my, my life, you know, and, and, you know, my future wife and I are solid. That's Everything else after that is just icing on the cake.
0: Well, I have to say, uh, Dr. Del Grande, that, I, I mean, I, I do feel a, a soul connection with you man. Um, so many things that you're talking about now um, overlap um, with my own life story, even my brother's, as far as just his, the ambivalence of how to continue in journalism when it just is, sucks all the stuff out of you, even though it's meaningful, you... Things fall by the wayside, but just the music. I I, I walked into friends when I was uh, filling out paperwork the first day, and I was like, well, "Who's on the radio?" And I didn't even know who David was. And he's like, "I think that's Ornette Coleman." And I I, I feel like the the jazz cats kind of brought us together, man. And I and I before we go, I just I you know for a lot of people, um, I mean you'll find me in here on a good week, on a hot week, <clears throat> you know, every day, a couple hours a day, knocking out maybe on a good week eight to ten interviews. Um I've done a lot of on the road documentation and journalism, a lot of Facebook live interviews, doing really stretching the boundaries of new media uh, because I don't have to answer to anybody. Um but for people who think that like I mean it's it's a it's 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 feeding me. And I just wanted you to talk to people out there about your schedule when it comes to shooting. You're not like mailing it in with like 20 minutes after this interview you're talk about the times of day that you uh shoot uh photography well
1: it's been it's been weird to say to people and you know especially on a platform that people are going to listen to but like COVID-19 is really good to me in a sense where you know I was just out of journalism, maybe a year when, you know, the pandemic really started to take a hold and, you know, so, uh, you know, I'm still in, you know, looking at documents and looking at press releases and stuff like that. So the original reports I saw about COVID-19 were really, really sobering. So for someone who was a creative and knew that the world was about to change in a real way, I was like, okay, so, you know the estimates from the CDC, you know, we're talking like early to 2020, like this is really grim. So for, you know, it was sobering in a sense where I'm like, okay, how am I going to go out? And so what, what I did, I was like, all right, well, you're going to go out and you're going to like, if this is kind of the end, if this is a doomsday, you're going to go out doing exactly what you want to be doing. So, you know, when the lockdowns hit, I hit the streets, like, so I was shooting two to three times a day. It was first thing in the morning. It was usually right after work, right after the friends. And then it was in the evening. Now this is, you know, previous to me having a, a full-time, you know, partner and living with someone. Sure. So I had a little bit more time in that sense, but I was, and that schedule hasn't changed too much, but yeah, COVID-19 was a wake up call for me where it's just like, okay, so if this is kind of the end of days. How do you want your end of days to look? And you know, I'm the type of person that's gonna, you know, if you got me down, I'm gonna be kicking up. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, I'm am still I'm shooting, you know, every single morning at least five days a week for at least 20 minutes before I clock in. You so, know, to so the, just talk
0: about the, yeah, sorry. talk about the, um, you know, like basically from when the when the sun goes down until the sun comes up. Talk about the times that you you actually because I mean that's that to me was revelatory.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and, 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 you know, it was a little bit of reference because I wasn't shooting like this and creating like this until COVID hit. It was, it was a wake up call for me. And so, you know, I'm up at 4 30 in the morning and, you know, I do some work I do some editing and do a little bit of social media promotion. You know, I get, I have to be at work roughly around seven. So, you know, I'm on the streets taking photos like six o'clock, maybe to six 30. And then, you know, usually my day's over at three at the day job and, you know, that kind of, that late, that late evening sunlight is perfect for great street photography. So I usually hit the streets around four, you know, shoot until like 530. And then if I'm really fortunate, I have a lot of time on my hands. I'll go out, you know, after dinner and I'll spend a good two or three hours taking night shots. So that's typically what my schedule is. And then it's just a matter of like, you know, if I'm shooting video, you know, chop up that video that night or the following morning, getting that out on YouTube and rumble and places like that. And, you know, building a Twitter following and building, you know, my Instagram following. But yeah, I mean, I'm shooting on those really good productive days. I'm shooting three, three times a day.
0: Drowning in content and looking forward to many more opportunities to break it down David Del Grande, thank you so much for being part of the program, brother.
1: Dude, such a pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: The Jake Feinberg Show. We'll see you later.